Please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to look at verse 2 for our study this morning on the session of Christ. The session of Christ. We're studying the attributes and works of Christ, our Savior. Today we come to the session of Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Where is the Lord Jesus right now? Where is he this very moment? Is he present everywhere in the world? Is he present here with us in this room this morning? That old favorite hymn says, You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Is Christ present in your heart today? If so, in what sense is he present there? Where did the Lord Jesus go after his ascension? What's he doing right now? Well, these are some questions I'm going to try to answer today as we consider this subject, the session of Christ. So the first question, where is Jesus Christ right now? The Lord Jesus is present with us here in this service in his Holy Spirit right now, but he is not present with us bodily. Jesus Christ is present in our hearts right now if we have been regenerated and justified, but he's present there only in his Holy Spirit, not bodily. He's present everywhere in his Holy Spirit, but not bodily. So where is Jesus Christ right now? Bodily, Jesus Christ at this present moment is in heaven in the presence of God the Father. In his perfect, crucified, risen, ascended body, the Lord Jesus is right now present in heaven. Turn with me to Hebrews 4.14. We're going to look at a lot of verses in Hebrews this morning. Chapter 4 and verse 14, first of all. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. And Hebrews 9.24 says, For Christ is entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. But the scriptures tell us further that not only is Christ in heaven, he's at the Father's right hand in heaven. In Bible times, the right hand was the place of honor and dignity among kings. According to 1 Kings 2.19, King Solomon caused his mother Bathsheba to be seated at his right hand, the place of honor and dignity when she came to see him. 
Turn to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 19. Matthew 16 and verse 19. I'm sorry, Mark 16. Mark chapter 16, verse 19. The scripture says here in Mark 16, 19, that after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat upon the right hand of God. The martyr Stephen saw the Lord at the right hand of God in heaven when the Sanhedrin was stoning him to death. Turn to Acts 7, 55 and 56. Acts chapter 7, verses 55 and 56. But he, that is Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of God standing on the right hand of God. 1 Peter 3.22 speaks of Christ who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. Turn next to Ephesians 1.20. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20. Paul here is speaking of Christ. In Ephesians 1.20, when he says that he, that is God, raised him, that is Christ, from the dead, and set him at his own right hand, far above all principality and power and every name that is named. The extreme dignity and honor which the Lord received when he was set at the right hand of the Father, far above all principality and power and name, we sometimes call the exaltation of Christ. We recently studied the exaltation of Christ. He has been exalted to the place of the very highest honor and dignity, the right hand of the Father. One of the blessed things about the session of Christ is the fact that though he is exalted so high, he never forgets his people. You know, I feel sorry for Catholics because they think Christ is aloof. They think he's too busy to deal with us on earth. And so they have to go through the saints in order to get to him and then to get to the Father. Well, the chief butler, when he was restored to honor in Pharaoh's court, forgot poor Joseph in prison even though Joseph had interpreted his dream and, uh, and he, the dream came true and he promised Joseph that he'd speak up for him uh, so that he could get out. But that butler forgot Joseph. But the Lord Jesus, though he is exalted so very high, never forgets his people on earth. 
They are always on his mind and on his heart. Thirdly, God's word tells us that not only is the Lord Jesus presently in heaven at the Father's right hand, but it tells us that he is also seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Turn with me to Psalm 110 and verse 1. Psalm 110 and verse 1. And this is a prophecy of what God the Father would one day say to God the Son. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now this verse in Psalm is at least partially quoted in five different places in the New Testament. In Matthew 26, and we'll not turn to this, but Matthew 26, 64, the Lord Jesus foretold that he would be seated at the Father's right hand when he said, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power. Hebrews 1.3, in speaking of Christ, says, When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now turn to Hebrews 8.1. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1. <clears throat> Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set, literally seated, on the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. And this word majesty here means God himself. The apostle says in this verse that Christ, our high priest, is now seated on the right hand of the throne of God in the heavens. Our text in Hebrews 12, 2 is another scripture that tells us that Jesus Christ is now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Look at our text once again in Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, let's look at one more having to do with this. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. All of these verses tell us that Christ is now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now, I, I said at the outset that our study today would be concerned with the subject of the session of Christ. So let's think about this word session for a moment. The word comes from the Latin word sessio, and it means simply to be seated. The session of Christ means the time of his being seated. 
Today we use the term in our legal system when we say that court is in session. Court is in session means that the judges have arrived and everyone involved is ready to proceed with business. In the case, and the judge is seated behind the bench. In the case of Jesus Christ, the term session means that he has now entered another aspect or another phase of his redemptive work. The term session and the fact that Christ is said to be seated at the Father's right hand do not mean that he has ceased to be active and is now resting. Uh, we don't ever want to give the impression that Christ was seated at the Father's right hand and his work is all over. On the contrary, this word session means that he is now actively pursuing certain work in heaven. And God's word tells us that his session will continue until he returns to this earth at his second coming, at which time all of his enemies will be made his footstool. God's word tells us this. In Hebrews 10, 12, and 13, let's turn to that. Hebrews 10, 12, and 13. Now, this has been a very important, very critical verse in my own understanding of eschatology, of the last things. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till, that's the key word, till his enemies be made his footstool. So the scriptures are telling us here that the Lord Jesus will be at the Father's right hand until it is time for him to return to this earth to rule, at which time his enemies will be completely put down. The Antichrist, or the man of sin, will be destroyed with the breath of his mouth. The armies of the nations will be slain at Armageddon. All of his enemies will be made his footstool. Now, the connection with eschatology, or the last things, is this. The Father said to the Son, when he arrived in heaven on it, at the end of his ascension, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So he's not going to come back until his enemies have been made his footstool. Not going to come back seven years before all these terrible things in the tribulation are going to happen. He's going to come back after his enemies have all been made his footstool. And Brother Lee, that's the verse that the Lord used to convince me of the truth that this whole rapture business is not scriptural. I just threw that in free, but it was related. So, where is Jesus Christ right now? He is in heaven, seated at the Father's right hand, carrying on his session, and he's going to remain there until his return to this earth. Well, here's another question. What is the Lord Jesus doing right now? Right now, the Lord Jesus 
is seated at the Father's right hand in heaven. He is involved in his session. Court is in session in heaven. Certain business is being carried on by the Lord in heaven. One of the things the Lord Jesus is doing right now is preparing a place for us, getting ready for his people a place in heaven. Not long, not long before he ascended into heaven, the Lord told his disciples in John 14, 2, I go to prepare a place for you. Another thing the Lord is doing in his session is sovereignly ruling over all. He is ruling over the churches, over the world, over the universe, over the unseen world. Now, you know, a lot, it doesn't look like that to a lot of people. But he is behind the scenes. He's working all things together for good to them that love God. Turn to 1 Peter 3.22. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 22 says that angels, authorities, and powers are subject to him that sits at the right hand of God, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. You know, the devil's not out of control. Christ is sovereign over the devil. He doesn't do anything that Christ doesn't let him do. Thirdly, most prominent in, the, in what the Lord Jesus is doing right now is his work of intercession. To intercede, as God's word uses the term, means to meet with a person and to plead with that person in behalf of another. Right now, this very moment, the Lord Jesus is interceding. He is meeting with God the Father and pleading with him on behalf of his people. This intercessory work, this pleading of Christ with the Father for his people does not mean, it does not mean that Christ is on his knees humbly begging God on our behalf. doesn't mean that. No, Christ is now exalted. He is in the place of honor and dignity and sovereign power. When Christ intercedes with the Father for his people, what he's doing is authoritatively presenting himself before the Father, making requests for his people. In his session, the Lord Jesus is interceding with God pleading for several specific things on behalf of his people. Now I want you to turn with me to the 17th chapter of John, and we're going to park here for a while as we consider this intercessory work of our Lord Jesus Christ. The 17th chapter of John is a prayer which the Lord Jesus actually prayed while here on earth shortly before his death. And this prayer is a wonderful sample of the intercessory work of Christ that he's doing right now with the Father in heaven. In this great chapter, 
which some have called the Holy of Holies of the Word of God, the Lord Jesus prays to the Father in behalf of his people for at least six things. And I want us to look briefly here at these six things for which Christ in his session prays in behalf of his people. In verse 9, first of all, we find that the Lord Jesus prays for his elect. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. In verse 20, the Lord makes clear that he prays for all Christians in every age when he says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Listen, the Lord Jesus does not intercede for everyone in this world. He prays only for those whom the Father has given him. He says this much in the verses we've looked at. And what a wonderful thing to know that Christ intercedes. He prays, he pleads with the Father on behalf of his people, and he does so individually and by name. The 28th chapter of Exodus tells us that the high priest of Israel, who was a type and foreshadowing of Christ, presented the names of the 12 tribes of Israel before God when he went into God's presence in the Holy of Holies. He did this by wearing those names on his breast and on his shoulder. Let's turn to Exodus 28, and we'll read four verses in that 28th chapter of Exodus that tells us about what we've been talking about. Exodus 28, and the first verse that I shall read is verse 9. Chapter 28 and verse 9. And thou shalt take two onyx stones and grave on them the names of the children of Israel. Now verse 12. And thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. Now verses 28 and 29. And they shall bind the breastplate by the rings thereof unto the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue, that it may be above the curious girdle of the ephod, and that the breastplate be not loose from the ephod. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. And this was all a type. It was typical of the fact that our great high priest intercedes for each of his people individually and by name before the Father. You know, that's almost overwhelming to think about that. He mentions my name to the Father. He mentions yours, if you're one of his, to the Father. 
Next, back to uh, John 17. Next in verses 11 and 12 of John 17. We are told that Christ Jesus intercedes with God on behalf of his people, asking him to keep them secure in salvation. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. A specific example of this is found in Luke 22. If you'll turn to that, Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. Luke 22, 31 and 32. Here the Lord said that he prayed for Peter that God would keep him saved when Satan would sift him at the time of the Lord's trial. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan had desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Next, in verse 15 of John 17, we're given a third thing for which Christ asked the Father in interceding for his people. Here, he prays for the safety of his people from the evil all around them in this world. Verse 15 of John 17. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Fourthly, verse 17 shows us how the Lord prays that the Father will sanctify his people, that is, make them holy. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And we could expand on every one of these, but uh, we want to get out of here in time for Brother Lee to preach today. Uh, next in verse 21, we find that the Lord prays for unity among his people. Verse 21, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And finally, we see in verse 24 that Christ in his session is pleading with the Father that his people might be glorified, that is, that they might be with him where he is and thus be made like him. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Now, there are some other things for which Christ is asking the Father in behalf of his people that are not included here. One is that he is presenting the prayers 
of his people before God and pleading that they be accepted and granted for his sake. <coughs> the Lord Jesus also, in his intercessory work, is serving as the advocate or the defense attorney for his people, defending them against the charges and accusations that Satan brings against them. Hebrews 9.24 has this thought when it says that Christ is entered into heaven now to appear in the presence of God for us. Hebrews 9.24. Satan is constantly accusing the Lord's people before God. The Lord Jesus, our advocate, takes our cases. He appears at the bar of God for us. He represents a plea, or he presents a plea on our behalf, and he uses all of his influence with the Father to secure our acquittal. I believe that's the best attorney anybody could ever have. He wins all of his cases. 1 John 2, 1 tells us this very clearly. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. All of the pleas which the Lord Jesus makes to the Father on behalf of his people are based upon the value of his suffering and death. They're based upon the value of his blood. When Christ pleads with the Father, he presents his own blood and all of his sufferings as that because of which the Father should grant his request. His soul suffering and his bodily suffering, his sacrificial blood shedding and death are presented before the Father daily as the basis for God's granting his request. The wounds of Christ in his risen and ascended body are constant and visible reminders to God, so to speak, of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. The hymn writer had this in mind when he wrote, Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands and side, those wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified value of Christ's atoning work on Calvary is what makes his prayers to the Father on our behalf effective. Turn to 1 John 2, 1 and 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 connects the atoning work of Christ to his intercessory work. Verse 1 speaks of his intercessory work when it says, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And then verse 2 links Christ's atoning sacrifice to his intercessory work. When it says, and he is the propitiation for our sins. So Christ's intercession is based upon his propitiatory work, his atonement. We see all this typified 
in the work of the high priest in Old Testament Israel. When on the Day of Atonement, he took the blood of the sacrifice and went before God in the holiest with his hands full of incense. And we read about this in Leviticus 16, 12 through 14. Let's turn to that. Leviticus 16, verses 12 through 14. Remember, this is typical. This is a type of the work of Christ in heaven in his session. And he, that is the high priest, shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times. So the blood of the sacrifice speaks, of course, of the blood of Christ shed for the sins of his people. And the incense speaks of his intercessory work, especially his prayer, his praying. The incense and the blood are linked together. When Christ pleads for his people with the Father, based upon his blood of Calvary, his prayers are as sweet-smelling incense to God. Those prayers and pleadings are pleasant to God like sweet-smelling incense is to us. So, what is the Lord Jesus doing right now? The primary thing is interceding with the Father for his people. He's meeting with God the Father and pleading with him on the basis, uh, on behalf of his people. And he bases this intercession upon his own substitutionary suffering and death. Now, one other thing of Tremendous important here. And this is something that is just a blessing every time we hear it. The fact that God the Father always hears and grants the requests of His Son. Whatever the Lord Jesus asks of the Father, the Father always grants His request. If Christ asks a thing, God always gives it. Now, he doesn't always give us what we request. But if Christ requests it, he always gives it. In John eleven forty two, the Lord Jesus said to the Father one day, And I knew that thou hearest me always. And this word hearest here means not just receives the sound into the ear, but hears and answers. Well, another question. What are some practical applications of these things for us? It's one thing to study doctrine, but how should it work out in our lives? This great doctrine of the session of Christ, like all the doctrines of God's Word, 
is intended to have practical application in our lives. So, first of all, uh, and it's intended to cause us to act and to do some things. So, first of all, the fact of the session of Christ should cause us to boldly pray. To boldly pray. Christ's session should give us great encouragement to come boldly to the throne of grace. Turn to Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Since we know the Lord Jesus Christ, and since he is at the Father's right hand pre presenting our request to God, we ought to find it easy to pray and pray with confidence. Paul is speaking of Christ when he says in Ephesians 3.12, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Secondly, the session of Christ ought to cause us to rest in the fact that our salvation is eternally secure. I'll tell you, uh, I'm, I'm, I feel sorry for the Nazarenes and the others who think you can lose your salvation. And they live in anxiety, the old whiners do, uh, probably wringing their hands in their hearts thinking, oh, I hope I don't sin and fall today. This is not the case with those that have trusted in Christ. When Paul, this, uh, when Paul says in Romans 5.10 that we shall be saved by his life, he means we shall be kept saved by the Lord's resurrection life, the life that he's now living in heaven at the Father's right hand. He's talking about the session of Christ. Since Christ the Lord lives forever for the purpose of making intercession with the Father for us, our salvation is absolutely secure. Turn to Hebrews 7.25 here. The writer is speaking of Christ in Hebrews 7.25 when he says that he is able to save them to the uttermost, meaning fully, perfectly, completely, eternally. He is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing or because he ever liveth to make intercession for them. As long as Christ lives and prays to the Father for me, I'm safe. I'm secure in my salvation. I'll never be lost Again. The third thing 
the session of Christ ought to cause us to do is to persevere in our faith, to cling to Christ with purpose of heart, to hold fast the things of God. The fact that our Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the Father's right hand in heaven, interceding with the Father on our behalf, working as our priest and our advocate, ought to encourage us to persevere, to keep on in our faith. Turn to Hebrews 4.14. Hebrews 4 and verse 14. The apostle says here, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. You remember there's two sides to that fifth point. Preservation and perseverance. Two sides of the same coin. They go together. One final thing, the fact that Jesus Christ is in heaven interceding with the Father on behalf of his people, what that ought to cause us to do. It ought to cause us to ask ourselves, do I have an interest in Christ? Is he interceding with the Father for me? Does he represent me as he works there at the Father's right hand? Is he pleading his blood for me? Will you ask yourself these questions today? Do you have an interest in the Savior? Is he interceding with the Father for you? Does the session of Christ have anything to do with you? If you have never trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, then his blood is not pleading for you. Rather, his blood is actually pleading against you today, right now. Let's bow together and stand as we have our closing prayer.